Eureka by John Thomas, Volume 1 Chapter 1, Section 1, Part 2 Who are the Servants of God? From this testimony, we learn that the wicked are a larger class than is generally supposed. They are not restricted to murderers, drunkards, thieves and the licentious. The wicked are to a great extent very pious and religious people. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Being ignorant of God's righteousness, they go about with great diligence and at enormous cost to establish their own righteousness, not having submitted to God's. They compass sea and land to make proselytes. They make long prayers, sing with sweetest music the praises of him they profess to worship. The world is full of their piety, for it is fashionable to be religious, or rather to profess religion, so that Christianity is thought to be habited in fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet, to walk in silver sandals, and to be adorned with pearls and precious stones. Apocalypse 18 verse 12 But, be this as it may, there is a characteristic of wickedness, which no sect, party, name or denomination, regarded as orthodox, can repudiate as inapplicable to itself. That characteristic is, Thou castest my words behind thee, saith God. No man, sect or party, can offer a greater insult to Yahweh than this. For it is testified that he hath magnified his word above all the attributes of his name. Psalm 138 verse 4 And it was foretold in commendation of Messiah that when he should be revealed, he would magnify the law and make it honourable. Isaiah 42 verse 21 I came not, said he, to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfil. For the heaven and earth may pass away, but not one jot or tittle shall pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. He continually impressed upon his hearers the necessity of believing the words of God and of doing his commands, and never ceased to make the obedience of faith the test of men's devotion and affection for him. If ye love me, saith he, keep my commandments, and ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. For love is the fulfilling of the law. Now these are principles which no sophistry or reasoning can set aside. They are as true today as when they fell from the lips of him who gave utterance to the words of God. My words, saith he, are spirit and life. And Moses has testified, saying that whosoever would not hearken unto Yahweh's words which he should speak in his name, he would require it of him. Deuteronomy 18 
verses 15 to 19. The reader may profess to believe that Jesus of Nazareth is he to whom Moses referred. For, Jesus said, he wrote concerning me. But does the reader know what the Father commanded the prophet like unto Moses to speak in his name? If he know it, does he believe it? And if he believe the things spoken, has he obeyed them? To believe and do is the only evidence a man can give that he does not cast Yahweh's words behind him. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Hear this, ye bishops, priests, and ministers. Hear this, all ye eloquent divines and leaders of the people, all ye scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites, whose garb, grimace, and tone are the counterfeit of wool to disguise the ravening wolf. Hear this, all ye zealots of the world, religious. This question is for you who call Jesus Lord, and do not the things which he says. Deny not the truth of the indictment, for your names and denominations, in your creeds, institutions and practices, are standing memorials of your guilt. Do ye know what the glad tidings were Jesus was anointed to preach to the poor? Do ye know what that kingdom was whose gospel he announced? What was that acceptable year of Yahweh he proclaimed? Can ye define that righteousness of God attested by the law and the prophets he exhorted men to seek with the kingdom? Do ye consent to his words, appointing men to believe the gospel he preached, and to be immersed, that they may be saved? Do ye not rather make void all this by your traditions, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men? To believe and do, ye practically repudiate, in affirming the salvation of those who neither know, believe, nor obey. Now he whom ye call Lord testifies against you, saying, He that receiveth not my words, the word that I have spoken, the same shall condemn him in the last day. The gospel of the kingdom is the word of the kingdom, which he sowed in his field. By faith in this word men will be justified. Without it they will be condemned. For the words of Jesus are, He that believeth not shall be condemned. Now it is notorious, O ye clergy of all orders and degrees, that ye do not consent to the truth as it is in Jesus, but that ye substitute all sorts of foolishness in its place. Ye blaspheme the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, by invoking it in the rantism of babes, who, you teach, are by the absurdity engrafted into the body of Christ. This is taking the name, the glorious and fearful name, Yahweh Elohim, in vain. That name is holy and reverent, and he hath commanded, saying, Thou shalt not take 
the name of Yahweh thine Elohim in vain. For Yahweh will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Exodus 20 verse 7. And surely it is an egregious vanity in view of the testimony that without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to him must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. To bring a puling babe to a pint basin, incapable of faith, ignorant of anything called God, and a diligent seeker only of its mother's breast. And this ye do, and many other abominations too, O ye destroyers of the people. Hear then what Paul, whom ye styled the great apostle to the Gentiles, hath declared to your confusion. In 1 Timothy 6 verse 3 he says, If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the teaching which is according to godliness, he has been besmoked, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. It is manifest then from these premises that the pious zealots of the names and denominations of Gentile Christianity, together with their professional guides, are all of the same category. Though very respectable and orderly members of society, they are besmoked know-nothings and wicked, not consenting to the words of Jesus, but casting his words behind them and denouncing them as heresy. The revelation before us, which the deity gave to him, was not for them, it was for his servants, and the spiritual guides of the people are not his servants. This is the reason why there is no interpretation of the Apocalypse extant, written by a theologian or divine, that has any claim to consideration or respect as a scriptural exegesis of the book. Though learned in mythology and the dead languages, in history ancient and modern, in general literature and science, they are not learned in Moses and the prophets and the teaching of Jesus and the apostles. The fear of Yahweh, as taught by these, is the beginning of wisdom, and this commencement they have not made. No man can interpret the Apocalypse in harmony with the prophetic writings, who believes that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and David are now inheriting the promises covenanted to them, or that the inheritance covenanted is beyond the skies. An occupant of the Episcopal throne in the state church of any nation cannot interpret the book not being able to see that his own church is one of the daughters of the mother of harlots, and that he himself is one of the merchants of the earth, whose merchandise is of tithes, bodies, and the souls of men. 
He that denies the personal reappearance of Jesus Christ upon Mount Olivet, who affirms that he is now sitting upon the throne of David, and that consequently there will be no rebuilding of David's dwelling place, or re-establishment of his throne in Zion. He that denies the restoration of the twelve tribes of Israel to their native land, maintains that they are forever outcasts, and that no kingdom will be restored to them, cannot read the book nor see it. Believers in a past millennium are literally shut up and sealed, and totally destitute of all spiritual perception. In short, the grand prerequisite for an expositor of this wonderful little book is that he understand the gospel of the kingdom as exhibited in the prophets, the preaching of Jesus as the Christ, and the revelation of the mystery as set forth by the apostles. He must have a comprehensive understanding of the scriptures from Genesis to Jude, for the light shining from all these testimonies converges upon the apocalyptic page, whose crises, as a mirror, reflects the kingdom promised to the saints. The apocalypse of Jesus Christ is then for the servants of God, for those who believe the gospel of the kingdom it exhibits, and have been washed from their sins in his blood, in being baptised into his name. Know ye not, says Paul, that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. Here are two masters, the first, the Lord of the world, the last, the ruling principle of Yahweh's people. Sin is the transgression of law, and because this is the natural tendency of our nature, sin is sometimes used for the flesh. He, therefore, that serves his own lusts, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, which not only constitute the man, but the world, or aggregate of such, is sin's servant or slave. Such a man, be he priest, clergyman, minister, or layman, serves sin unto death. Being of the world, he speaks of the world, and the world hears him. 1 John 4 verse 5 He is essentially a man-pleaser, who holds men's persons in admiration for the sake of advantage, and therefore cannot be the servant of Christ. Galatians 1 verse 10 and Jude 16 The thinking that characterises such is termed the thinking of the flesh. What they think and give expression to is palatable to those who do not know the scriptures, which is a great cause of error in the world. Their thoughts and reasonings are at issue with the thoughts and ways of God, and therefore the thinking of the flesh is said to be at enmity with God, not subject to his law, neither indeed can be. Romans 8 verse 7 When a clergyman 
or layman, thinks on God and his purposes, on what would be pleasing to him, on his own destiny or that of the nations and the earth, and judges of these, not according to what is written in the Bible, but according to what appears to him to be the fitness of things, and according to the institutes of theological schools and seminaries. Such thinking and judgment is the thinking of sin, and inevitably at variance with the mind of Christ. Sin reigns in his thoughts, in his flesh, and in his ways. He is sin's servant, and though a slave, being free from righteousness, he serves him with delight. Paul reminds the saints in Rome that they were all the servants of sin once, but thanks God in their behalf that they have been freed from sin and were now the servants of righteousness, having obeyed from the heart a form of teaching, tupon didakes, into which they were delivered. Romans 6 verse 17. They obeyed a form of teaching which emancipated, liberated, or set them free from the lordship of sin. This was Paul's mission, to invite men to a change of masters. He addressed himself to free men and slaves, all of whom, whatever their political or social position, were in bondage to the devil or sin. He did not invite slaves to abscond from their fleshly owners. On the contrary, he told men to remain in the several callings of life in which they were when they first heard the truth. Let every man, says he, abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a slave? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. As if he said, Social or political liberty is a small matter in view of what men are called or invited to by the gospel of the kingdom. My mission is to open men's eyes, to turn them from darkness of mind to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among the sanctified by faith, which leads into Jesus. Acts 26 verse 18. He invited sin servants to become Yahweh's servants upon the principle of purchase, so that in addressing those who had abandoned the synagogue and temple for the house of Christ, he says to them, Ye are bought with a price. They were not their own, being bought bodily and spiritually. Therefore, said he, Glorify God with your body and with your spirit, which are God's. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 23 and 6 verses 19 and 20. When a man's body and spirit become another's property, all property in himself is surrendered to the purchaser. All that he used to call his before he was sold is transferred to his owner and if allowed to retain it, he must use it as the steward of his Lord. Redemption is a release for a ransom. 
all who become God's servants are therefore released from a former Lord by purchase. The purchaser is Yahweh, and the price or ransom paid the precious blood of the flesh through which the anointing spirit was manifested. It is therefore styled the precious blood of Christ. As it is written in the words of Peter to his brethren, saying, Ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conduct paternally delivered, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. First Epistle 1 verse 18 If this Christ lamb had not been slain, the fifth and sixth verses of the first chapter of the Apocalypse could not have been written. The new song of chapter 5 verses 9 and 10 could never have been sung. The 144,000 could never have been sealed. The robes of the saints, the palm bearers of chapter 7 verses 9 to 14, could never have been washed white in blood. There would have been no altar, no worshippers thereat, nor souls underneath it in death. Chapter 11 verse 1 and 6 verse 9. And there would have been no fine linen, clean and white, to clothe the bodyguards of the King of Kings. Chapter 19 verses 8 and 14. All these parts of the Apocalypse are based on the slaying of the Christ Lamb, as the redemption price of the servants of God. Satan took the price of release. In the day of his power, he valued the blood at thirty pieces of silver. In this was fulfilled the saying of the prophet, They weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver, and cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was prized at of them. Zechariah 11, verses 12 and 13. The life being purchased for this amount of blood money, Satan nailed the Christ lamb to the tree and poured out his life with a spear. Jesus entered no protest against the arrangement. On the contrary, he lovingly laid down his life for the sake of those who had died under the law of Moses walking in the steps of Abraham's faith, and for them also who should afterwards become Abraham's children by adoption through himself. With the first class, as a man, he had no personal acquaintance. With the last, comprehending multitudes of his contemporaries, his acquaintance cost him his life. Unknown by the one, and condemned and persecuted by the other, he nevertheless laid down his life to purchase their release from the bondage of sin and death. I am, said he, the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep, and I lay down my life for them of myself. No man taketh it from me. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. John chapter 10 He regarded this as the greatest evidence of love, 
for, as Paul reasons, scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Well, therefore, may it be said, unto him that loved us, to him be glory and dominion for the aeons of the aeons. Chapter 1, verses 5 and 6.